Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Shri Soka Uvacha Iti Sarvesi Samramba Vahan Aruhya Damsita Swatswar Balai Parikranta Anviyu Dritta Karmoka Shri Sukha Uvacha Sukadeva Goswami Iti Thus Sarve All of them Susamrabda Greatly angered Vahan Their conveyances 
Arusha, mounting, non-star, wearing armor, swai swai, each by his own, balai, military force, parikranta, surrounded, anvu, they followed, dhrtha, holding, karmaka, their bows. Uh, Sukadeva Goswami said, having thus spoken, all those infuriated kings donned their armor and mounted their conveyances. Each king, bow in hand, was surrounded by his own armor as he went after Lord Krishna. The commanders of the Yadu, Yadava army, seeing the enemy racing to attack, turned to face them and stood firm, O king, twanging their bows mounted on the backs of horses, the shoulders of elephants, and the seats of chariots, the enemy kings, expert with weapons, rained down arrows upon the Yadus like clouds pouring rain on mountains. Slender way, said Rukmini, seeing the Lord's army covered by torrents of arrows, shyly looked at his face with fear-stricken eyes. In response, the Lord laughed and assured her, do not be afraid, beautiful-eyed one. This enemy force is about to be destroyed by your soldiers. Her part, to express his great affection for Rukmini, Lord Krishna gallantly referred to his own Yadava army as your man, indicating that the Lord's entire dynasty was now the property of his beloved queen. The Supreme Lord, Krishna, desires to share his blissful opulences with all living beings and thus he sincerely invites them to come back home back to Godhead. The Krishna consciousness moon introduced throughout the world by Srila Prabhupada on the order of his spiritual master. Srila <coughs> Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who himself reached all over India on the order of his exalted father. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur is broadcasting the loving message of Lord Krishna. Remember him, serve him. Return to him and share in the infinite bounty of the kingdom of God. <coughs> the heroes of the Lord's army, headed by Gada and Sankarsana, could not tolerate the aggression of the opposing kings. Thus, with iron arrows, they began to strike down the enemy's horses, elephants, and chariots. The heads of soldiers fighting on chariots, horses, and elephants fell to the ground by the millions. Some heads wore earrings and helmets, others turbans. Lying all around were thighs, legs, and fingerless hands, along with hands clutching swords, clubs, and bows, and also the heads of horses, donkeys, elephants, camels, wild asses, and humans. Uh, Karaba indicates the portion of the hand from the wrist to the base of the fingers. The same word may also indicate elephant's trunk. And thus in this verse, the implication is that the thighs lying on the battlefield resemble the trunks of elephants. Seeing their armies being struck down by the Vishnis, who were eager for victory, the kings headed by Jarasandha were discouraged and left the battlefield. Although Shishupala had not married Rukmini, his passionately considered her, he passionately considered her his property, and thus he was devastated like a man who has lost his beloved wife. The kings approached Sishupala, who was disturbed like a man who has lost his wife. His complexion was drained of color, his enthusiasm was gone, and his face appeared dried up. The king spoke to him as follows. Jarasandha said, 
Listen, Shishupala, oh tiger among men, give up your depression. After all, embodied beings' happiness and unhappiness is never seen to be permanent, O oh king. Just as a puppet in the form of a woman dances by the desire of the puppeteer, so this world, controlled by the Supreme Lord, struggles in both happiness and misery. Purpose by the will of the Supreme Lord, living beings are awarded the proper results of their own activities. One who understands the absolute truth, surrenders to the absolute truth, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and is no longer considered to be within the material system of existence. Since those endeavoring within the material system or world are necessarily trying to exploit the creation of God, they must be subjected to reactions which are perceived by the conditioned souls as miserable and joyful. In fact, the entire material way of life is a fiasco when seen from the perspective of absolute bliss. In battle with Krishna, I and my 23 armies lost 17 times. Only once did I defeat him. Jarasandha offers his own life as an example of the inevitable happiness and distress of the material world. But still I never lament or rejoice because I know this world is driven by time and fate. Whereupon, having stated that the Supreme Lord controls this world, Jarasandha explains the specific method of control. It should be remembered that in the Vedic text, Kala or time, uh, does not refer merely to a system of measuring planetary movements such as days, weeks, months, and years, but rather to the way things are being moved. Everything is moving according to its destiny, and this destiny is also described as time, since everyone's destiny is revealed and imposed by the movements of time. And now all of us, great commanders of military leaders, have been defeated by the Yadus and their small entourage who were protected by Krishna. Now our enemies have conquered because time favors them. But in the future, when time is auspicious for us, we shall conquer. So here we have the outcome of the battle. Everyone, all the demons were defeated. And there's a description of all the uh, corpses lying on the battlefield and then the uh, armies of the enemy being very depressed, and including Shishupala. And then Jarasandha and others, they console or comfort Shishupala uh, by uh, stating some things which are not actually untrue. Uh, and we'll find that other uh, persons, even the Supreme Lord, will speak in the same way about the impermanence of the material world. So we see that even the demons uh, do have some uh, wisdom of sorts. Uh, but even though we see that uh, Jarasandha here mentions uh, uh, the Supreme Lord, uh, they actually don't associate that word with Krishna. They don't think of him as the Supreme Lord. Otherwise, they wouldn't fight with him. Hmm? But nevertheless, Jarasandha here is talking about how the Supreme Lord is the ultimate controller of time, and then time operates in the material world, and everything becomes impermanent. And you may gain or lose or get happiness or distress according to the force of karma and time. So this is um, not wrong, it's actually a true statement. Uh, but the demons don't recognize Krishna as that person. And when it actually comes to worship, they will never worship even the Supreme Lord, even if he's there. So, uh, though they may speak some words which are true, 
ultimately, uh, they don't accept the Supreme Lord. So often, uh, the uh, demons uh, uh, are at the level of jnana, and they will preach from the point of view of jnana, uh, in which they appreciate the temporary nature of the material world and ultimately the necessity of uh, tolerating everything and becoming indifferent to the material world and going to a higher level. Of course, they never aspire for liberation even. Uh, the, what makes them demons is the fact that they aspire for enjoyment in the material world. But they do appreciate the fact that uh, there is some uh, higher state of uh, peace. Uh, so, uh, nevertheless, uh, they use this in certain circumstances, not that they actually believe it, but they use these concepts to pacify others. So here we see Jarasandha talking like this to uh, Shishupala, and he gives the example of his own self losing so many times to Krishna, uh, and similarly we'll see that uh, Hiranyakasipu will pacify the wives of uh, Hiranyaksha, etc. Uh, some of the demons will speak words that are not incorrect uh, from the point of view of Jnana. Uh, so, uh, we see that Jnana itself is not a high achievement because even demons can appreciate some aspects of Jnana. Uh, now, of course, they're not complete jnanis because, as I said, they're attracted to enjoyment of the material world. But at least they can understand something of the nature of things. Uh, but even though they understand, they don't uh, uh, act in that way and give up everything and then go for liberation. So they have an understanding of jnana, but they don't put it into practice. And uh, uh, in convenient places, they will think about it or preach it uh, as here. Uh, so, uh, therefore, they're not completely unintelligent, but it's limited. So they appreciate some aspects of jnana, and they can use that. Uh, they don't ultimately go for the goal of jnana. And beyond that, they, they can't get to the level of bhakti at all. Uh, so they talk about a Supreme Lord controlling everything like a puppeteer controls the world, but they don't really appreciate a Supreme Lord and they never worship him. Mm -hmm. So, though we have words uh, discussing these things, uh, the actual important thing is that one puts them into practice. Mm, so if we're going to talk jnana, then we should actually do it and give up material endeavors, give up attachment to... Uh, wife and family and kingdom and winning, etc. And, and reject the whole world uh, and go for liberation. Uh, so, uh, but even that uh, is, I said, it's not the perfect uh, conclusion uh, because they don't go beyond that to uh, worship the Supreme Lord. So, uh, we can see that uh, Gana after all, is not such a high position to reach the level of jnana is not really a high position because the demons get there and they can appreciate it. Huh? But the, the demons never appreciate the Supreme Lord. Huh? 
and, and that is means that they they're on a much lower position because they can't accept the supreme lord uh, so uh, often uh, like Prahlad he will say that I'm very unfortunate because I'm born not only born in a family of demons but they preached Gana and that is contrary to Bhakti so consequently I'm influenced by that Gana in my Bhakti also so he laments oh I have Gana Mr. Bhakti <laughs> because of the influence of my demon family etc not really true, of course, but uh, uh, he, uh, in humility, he says that his bhakti is mixed with the uh, demonic influence. Huh? So he, he associates jnana with demons. <laughs> huh? uh, so, uh, and we also see that uh, uh, when the Lord kills demons, they can make it liberation. Huh? Uh, but uh, the devotees, they, uh, they understand that such liberation is useless. Huh? Uh, and if that's what the demons get, then why would the devotees want liberation? Uh, this is not a, uh, a goal that uh, the devotees aspire for at all. If the demons, the, the Lord rewards the demons by giving them liberation. Huh? So, therefore, the whole process of jnana and the goal of liberation are put in a lower category yeah, because, one, of course, there's no worship of the Lord. Two, this is the goal of the uh, demons that get killed by the Lord, so it's not very significant at all. Uh, so, Gana, of course, is uh, is not false. It is uh, praised by the scriptures, especially the Upanishads. Uh, uh, but at the same time, we have to understand it is relative praise, just as Krishna praises Karma Yoga and Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and definitely, Gana is higher than Karma Yoga. Uh, uh, but uh, jnana is not the end of everything. So uh, the, the acharyas will criticize jnana not because uh, of its uh, good qualities of getting detachment, etc., but because people often uh, take jnana as the final goal and they don't go beyond jnana. So as a step in, in a series of processes uh, to reach the Lord, then it is acceptable. But if it is isolated and taken as a final goal, then it is rejected. So, uh, jnana is favorable in the sense that it creates some detachment from the material world and enjoyment here and an understanding of the temporary nature of the material world. And we do have to strive for something more. So that's its good aspect. Uh, as in the, in the very definition, qualification for bhakti in Bhagavatam is not too much material attachment. So, jnana is good for getting that detachment. And in the nectar devotion that Rupa Goswami says, this jnana and vairagya in the beginning may be a little helpful because they create this uh, detachment. Huh? Uh, but then the, the negative aspect is that if one gets completely absorbed in this jnana, one loses a taste for bhakti. It becomes exclusively uh, centered on this uh, liberation without worship of the Lord and no development of attachment to the Supreme Lord, instead merging in Brahman. Uh, so this is the negative aspect of jnana. Uh, it leads one to uh, uh, reject the Lord. Uh, and therefore, 
though Rupa Goswami says, Gyan uh, and Vairagya are favorable a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> he says, ultimately, when one becomes attached to them, then they make the heart dry up. Shushka, it becomes dried up, which means in uh, the whole process of bhakti is softening and melting of the heart. And that's defined in, uh, in uh, prema, where the heart is completely melted. Uh, and otherwise, one is completely attracted to Krishna with affection. Uh, that is a melted heart. And if we do jnana, this tends to dry up that heart. <laughs> so uh, the affection becomes less and less and less. Huh? So that is why in jnana, Mr. Bhakti, then the result is one gets a little affection for the Lord, but then it's largely it's, it's a Brahman aspect. So therefore, it, uh, the affection is not very strong in the Gyan Mr. Bhakta. Uh, so, for that reason, therefore, uh, Gyana gets rejected. And it is said, Gyana karma dinavratam, in the definition of bhakti, and bhakti, pure bhakti should not be covered or obstructed by Gyana, karma, etc. So these unfavorable aspects should not interfere with it. At the same time, it says, it, it doesn't say that you should, can reject, uh, should reject completely, so favorable aspects we take. So therefore, uh, we don't, uh, we don't uh, become too attached to material objects. We develop some detachment. Uh, and therefore, we can even accept these words of Jarasandha here about the temporary nature of the material world and how we have to tolerate all the ups and downs in the world. Yes, we accept that. And we see in the like nectar of instruction, it says there that you have to be very tolerant and patient uh, that means that in spite of all the obstacles in the material world, uh, we don't become disturbed and give up the process of bhakti, we continue it. So uh, certain aspects of jnana are uh, uh, favorable, uh, we don't have to reject those. Uh, we can use them uh, favorably for our development of devotional service. But the unfavorable aspects are there also. If we become absorbed in those, this begins to weaken the bhakti. Uh, so that is why it says, jnana karma jnavratam, not obstructed by jnana karma, etc. Uh, the fa unfavorable elements should not interfere with the process of uh, bhakti. So in this way, uh, uh, there are some favorable elements in jnana, uh, but at the same time, uh, the devotee generally avoids because of these unfavorable elements. Uh, uh, and he concentrates instead upon the process of bhakti. So the very definition of bhakti is that it means dedication to the lotus feet of the Lord. And uh, as one develops that devotion, then automatically attraction to the material world decreases and decreases and decreases. So we get a natural uh, type of detachment due to the process of bhakti itself. Uh, uh, so we don't even have to cultivate detachment uh, separate from bhakti. Uh, uh, the process of bhakti creates that detachment for us. Uh, so, uh, therefore, bhakti is an independent process that doesn't depend on anything else. But we can take favorable elements of things and use them as long as uh, we need to, uh, to support our bhakti. Uh, uh, so we can borrow elements from karma, organa, or yoga, whatever, if they're favorable at a certain point in time for our development of our bhakti. Later on, we may discard those elements also. Huh? So 
uh, uh, the, the main idea is that bhakti is independent uh, uh, and it always continues, uh, but the other processes we may reject or uh, adopt according to the situation if they are favorable in certain circumstances. So in this way we, uh, we put the emphasis upon the process of bhakti itself to give all the results. Here, in the case of a person like Jarasandra, there's no bhakti, <laughs> no recognition. Here, they're, they're directly, they are uh, fighting with the Supreme Lord. <laughs> That's why they're demons. Uh, and so the, 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 the jnana is, a, is a, a feature. And even this jnana is not prominent in their lives. It is only useful in certain circumstances. Uh, so what are they? What are they practicing? They're not even practicing karma yoga, uh, because karma yoga, if done properly, also accepts supreme lord and appreciates supreme lord. Uh, so they're doing something because they're kings. They're they're ruling a kingdom and doing manipulating rules and regulations, etc. And it may appear like karma yoga and varnashram, etc., to some extent but no recognition of the Supreme Lord at all. Huh? So then such a system is considered useless. This is the Asurak Varnashram system, a social system with no acceptance of the Supreme Lord. It may look very good on the surface, but its goal is completely opposite of Supreme Lord. Varnashram system is acceptable because it's aiming towards Supreme Lord and it includes worship of the Supreme Lord and no offense to the Supreme Lord. It is not also considered to be the primary process. Uh, it's rejected ultimately by Krishna also in Bhagavad Gita, Sabra Dharma Purityacha. Give all up all the dharmas. Huh? Huh? Why? Because though it has bhakti in it, bhakti is not the major part of it. The major goal of karma yoga is artha and kama stay in the material world. Uh, so that's the goal of the demons. Uh, but their, their system of karma yoga or whatever, there's no acceptance of the Lord. Uh, so therefore, it is uh, futile. The karma yoga which accepts the uh, uh, Supreme Lord, this actually can succeed. The people get purified and they rise to a higher level, they rise to sattva, and eventually they take to the process of bhakti. Uh, uh, without the Supreme Lord there, the whole process is uh, confusing and without a proper goal if it's only art and kama. Huh? And they don't do much except, uh, except to struggle for enjoyment in the material world. Huh? Actually, because they offend the Lord, they don't even get good results in terms of art and kama. Ultimately, those systems get destroyed. So, if we want prosperity in the material world, then we also have to include worship of the Supreme Lord in that also. So the proper Varnashram or the Daiva Varnashram includes worship of the Supreme Lord. Then you can get your arm art and karma peacefully. And it's not a big problem. Uh, so uh, here, uh, Jarasandha uh, is uh, preaching some isolated facts of jnana as opposed to their indulgence in karma, yoga, without the Supreme Lord, or Varnashram, without the Supreme Lord. Uh, so they have a semblance of 
following all the principles uh, of, of uh, uh, karma yoga and jnana, etc. And it's all superficial. It's all devoid of ultimate purpose of the Supreme Lord. Whereas in the proper system, karma yoga and jnana yoga function to lead one to bhakti. And here the, the jnana is not used for that purpose at all, nor there is the karma yoga. It is only for artha and kama. So there's a resemblance to uh, Vedic wisdom at the same time. It's also quite different uh, because it's, there's no acceptance of the Supreme Lord. Varnashram Dharma, we know that Varnashram according to Gita is based on Guna, not on Janma. So we can find even a Vaishnava as a devotee. He may have an inherent nature of being a Kshatriya. And he may continue that uh, keeping Krishna in the center. There is not how. Because Yogi cannot be examined, he can still slash Lokas and... No, we can always do the, the participate in the Varnashram system and we see that Krishna encourages Arjuna to that. Of course, he's not a real Kshatriya because he's a Nichasiddha devotee, but he's acting as a Kshatriya. So he says, you do your duty and don't go beyond your duty, etc. Huh? So uh, one can do that and the Lord will encourage it. As long as those duties are not contaminated, but they don't contaminate the Bhakti and overcome the Bhakti. Uh, so when uh, the, the, the uh, goal of Varnashram becomes more prominent and the goal of Bhakti becomes less, then we end up simply with Varnashram system and worship of the Lord to attain the goals of Artha and Kama. So uh, the goal of Bhakti is quite different. It's actually beyond Artha, Kama, Dharma and Moksha. Uh, uh, so if we get caught up in the system, that's not good as far as devotional service is concerned. Uh, but a devotee can practice and he can do both and generally it's encouraged in India to do that. Outside of India there was no Varnashram system so therefore uh, one would simply do bhakti. But within India, then even up to 500 years ago, uh, people had a, uh, even in Kali Yuga, a little bit of Varnashram system was left so they would follow the rules and act within their Varna etc. Uh, but they would also do the bhakti and they wouldn't interfere with their uh, the bhakti uh, the, uh, the rules of Varnashram would not contaminate or interfere with their bhakti so it can be done, there's no problem with it being done Hare Krishna Mahaji Mahaji can you uh, describe what people do in Karma Yoga and Jnana Yoga, their activities, what they do. What do they do in Karma Yoga? Well, yeah, Karma Yoga according to Gunas, then they have a certain Varna, and in the Varna they have an occupation. So according to your occupation, uh, according to your occupation, you work in a certain profession. Uh, so if you're Sattvic, you're Brahminical, and you do, we study the Vedas. And if you're Kshatriya, then you do administrative work or army or whatever. And if you're Vaisha, then you do farming or agri uh, agriculture, etc. And uh, herding cows and uh, trade, commerce. And if you're Sudra, you do simple tasks which involve a lot of labor. Like potters and uh, stone cutters and whatever, and uh, construction workers or whatever. Uh, uh, so that's a major part of your uh, the Varnashram system to follow your particular nature and uh, get your sustenance for your life through that. Added to that are the rules and regulations enforced by the king, uh, the state rules. 
and the state rules are based upon scripture. What is sin and what is not sin? If you commit the sin, then you get punished. So there's a whole set of rules uh, for what is sinful. Uh, and uh, then the upper classes, and especially the Brahmins, follow what are called the Nitya Karmas, uh, daily activities that they do, uh, which are maybe 13 or 14. So it includes the Sanjay Vandana chanting the Gayatri Mantra. It includes the Panchamaha Yagya, which means uh, recitation of the Vedas, worship of Devatas, and the Supreme Lord, uh, serving guests, offering tarpanas to the ancestors, etc. Uh, it involves, uh, these are some of the Nitya Kriyas and whatever. Then there's um, uh, certain periods of the day you have to do certain things, uh, like uh, certain times are dedicated to study of the Vedas. Uh, and uh, then one also has the Naimitic Karmas, one has to do such as Shraddha rites, etc. Uh, so if one is twice born, one should do all of these things every day, as well as do one's occupational duties. Uh, so that, that's I'm saying. And then follow the, the uh, what is uh, the uh, do's and do nots, what is punya and what is papa, etc. Uh, so that is the uh, Varnashram system. Uh, jnana means, of course, one studies Upanishads. This is for uh, Brahmins uh, to study the Upanishads and understand them, not the material body, etc. Uh, and uh, meditate on those uh, statements of the Upanishads, become detached, do tapasyas and vratas, to get vairagya, etc. Uh, so, uh, this is, uh, I can say, the, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita we'll find, uh, when Krishna gives some activities there, uh, many of them are jnana activities in chapter, I think, 13 or so. Uh, uh, living in a solitary place, and whatever, doing vratas, all this. So, uh, it involves vairagya and cultivation of knowledge by studying uh, Upanishads. That's the main thing. Well, we see that uh, ISKCON is developing now, like many communities are coming. Can't we make it? Some devotees are interested in agriculture, they can do agriculture. Some who's like a devotee who is interested in farming and agriculture. Yeah. So he can produce those and his contemporaries can buy from them. Yeah. But now the money is going to the Kermis and uh, Lashmi is not rotated within the community. Yeah, but somebody is like a fighting spirit. He can be trained as a watchman and he can be a temple watchman instead of uh, engaging some uh, yeah. non-vegetarian person to... Well, that's encouraged, but then it's very difficult to find devotee farmers that actually know how to farm, usually. <laughs> In India, maybe it'll work so difficult. Western world's more difficult, I think. Uh, so that's where they all, the farm communities often fail because they get people who can't farm. They're, they like the idea, but they don't know anything about farming, so the farm fails because of that. So if you have people that uh, know how to farm already, then it's probably easier for them. Uh, and once they become devotees, then they become less interested in doing all the heavy work that is required in a farming type of uh, environment. Well, can't we train them in those areas? Farming and well, some well then to train them, they need people who are farmers to train them, isn't it? They need people who actually know about farming. Otherwise, it'll all be theoretical. Like in universities, they may research agriculture, but none of them are farmers. So <laughs> it may be difficult to implement their theories because uh, it's all technical knowledge, but uh, it never comes down to the level of the actual farmer because there's no farmer there who can you know, appreciate it and implement it practically.
So then it is said by due to time, uh, these gunas are operating like this. So if uh, uh, sattva is prominent, then the devadas become powerful. Yeah. If tamaguna is prominent, then the demons become powerful like this. So uh, uh, then when, when tamas, uh, then the demons get opportunity. Okay, now stay over for us so we can fight and we can conquer the devadas. <laughs> and even the devadas say, yes, due to time and, and the prominence of tamaguna, then because of that, the demons conquered Svargaloka. Yeah? Uh, so according to time, then certain gunas operate and become strong, and that opportunity, you take that opportunity, if you want tamagun, then tamagun will succeed. Huh? So it seems that, like, you know, uh, that Jarasundha is accepting time, but uh, we see time is impersonal, it's not a personal. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that, you know, that they also accept uh, impersonal Brahman. Because the time yeah. is the ultimate controller for yeah. everything. Well, as I say, they, they're using certain ideas from Jnana, but ultimately they don't even accept Jnana perfectly because they don't want to merge in Brahman, etc. So the idea is simply to use elements of Jnana to preach to other persons, that's all. But ultimately none of them really believe it either. Uh, uh, because so they say, yes, we have to tolerate our you know, a loss of kingdom, except actually they don't tolerate, they become more full of hate, and they try to <laughs> kill Krishna again and again and again, as Jarasandha tries, you know. So they're not really following the exact words of even uh, Jarasandha here. Uh, they may control themselves, but still, uh, they're waiting for an opportunity again to conquer. Uh, so they never give up their desires for material enjoyment, etc., which a true jnani would. So another question one is like see normally we see those who are demon, normally there are you know very rich, even very opulent. So question might come again, you know, see uh, to even to be successful also normally we need to worship a lot. But we we don't see that they are normally worship the lot. Who? The demons. They don't worship the lot. But yeah. so therefore they fail. <laughs> they don't worship the Lord, they hate the Lord. So this is their problem. And then they get killed by the Lord or whatever. Now, of course, if the Lord is not, is not uh, the time for the Lord to come, then we have demons also, and uh, they will also fail. They may get temporary success, as we see the demons do, like Ranikasipu temporarily, he gets control of the world or whatever, but then he crashes again. So, uh, other times also, demons become powerful, and then they're defeated, they fail, and their kingdom falls apart. Or sometimes, yeah, they can do, but it's temporary, all temporary. We all find even for those who are devotees of the Lord, but your world is temporary, so everything disappears. Yeah. So they can get a good position due to sattva, but then sattva doesn't last forever, fails. So in, in general, Kali Yuga is like that, nothing succeeds. And uh, at the end of Kali Yuga, then too bad, therefore the Lord restores everything to sattva again. And it becomes easier for uh, devotees then. Maharaj, do you think uh, that the jnana that these demons acquire is realized or they no, don't no, realize no. because yeah. it's not realized and they're just using part of the jnana. As I said, they don't believe in the goal of getting moksha. 
Because if they did, they wouldn't want to be a striving for getting kingdoms and all of this stuff. <laughs> so it's we can theoretical knowledge which they use for their own purposes. That's all. So 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 when they get killed by Krishna, yeah. Um, is their liberation direct, or do they get um, some other opportunity to again associate with the Lord? Well, generally it's direct uh, because of the uh, certain blessing. The Lord doesn't hate the demons, so He gives them liberation, which acts one. They don't have to get reborn in the material world, so they don't trouble anybody anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a situation of peace <laughs> for everybody. So uh, it's, it's a good solution for everybody if they get killed and get uh, Brahman rule of liberation. <laughs> Maharaj, uh, how to understand bhakti mixed with jnana? I mean, so what is their consciousness? How do they hmm? think? Bhakti mixed with jnana. Bhakti mixed with jnana. Yes, how to understand? Means, uh, uh, means whether I am following the pure devotion or I am following bhakti mixed with Well, jnana. if it's mixed with jnana, then one also has a desire for liberation or freedom from suffering and karma, etc. So that element will be there in the bhakti. Yes, we recognize the Lord and we're favorable, but still we're attached a little bit to getting liberation. So if that is there, it weakens the bhakti to some degree. But in uh, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, in some of most of the songs he prays, please deliver me from this world, material element. But yeah, so when the devotees say that, they don't actually mean liberation. It means deliverance to the Lord, the feet of the Lord. That's all it means. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.